Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Chris Cast. I am your host, Chris. Joining me once again by Facebook Messenger is Paul. Say hello, Paul. Say hello, Paul. First up this week, it's actually a pretty amazing story, at least in my eyes. This is from HotHardware.com. Paralyzed man regains ability to speak after neuro- neuroprothesis taps his brainwaves. There's a word to say five times fast. Neuroprosthesis. Uh, neuroprosthesis, that sounds very technical. One of the potentially devastating side effects of strokes is the loss of ability to speak. Researchers, for the most part, have adopted, quote, spelling-based systems that allow patients to type out their words one letter at a time. However, researchers have recently discovered other ways for patients to more quickly communicate. Neuroprosthesis allows researchers to translate signals that are supposed to control the muscles of the vocal system into actual words. Could you imagine the benefit of someone who has had a stroke or whatever and cannot speak from this particular invention? Okay, so is it is it like a computer thing that hooks up to your head that allows you to talk, or is it like uh, an actual procedure where you have an operation on your brain? So the study was led by researchers at the University of California, San Francisco, and its results were recently published in the July 2021 edition of the New England Journal of Medicine. The participant in the study was one who had suffered from a stroke over 15 years ago and had lost the ability to speak. The participant, referred to primarily as Bravo One, helped produce a list of 50 vocabulary words that were related to that to their everyday life. The researchers then implanted a high-density electrode array over Bravo One's speech motor cortex. Bravo One was asked over the course of several months to try to pronounce the words from the aforementioned vocabulary list while the electrodes recorded brain signals from his speech cortex. So it's kind of like a computerized chip over the vocal cords, and it then made the sound for him. It's, it's at least tied into the synapses, I would think. Yeah, so that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like it's like hooked up to some, some kind of Bluetooth speaker system or something. But this this could potentially be a, a truly life-changing event for somebody. Yeah. So... Um, instead of flying to space, let's work on trying to get this cost down on these things for people. Oh, Lord. Don't get me started on what happened this week. Don't get me started. Well, all I'm going to say week. is, with all the people homeless and needing food, we've got two rich guys going to space for no reason. And what okay. was it? Five, ten minutes? Let's just go ahead and talk about this. While you opened up the door, let's just go ahead and talk about this. How many billions did this thing cost this week? Really? The, way too many that actually could have been put to good use. And what gets me is Jeff Bezos pays no taxes. It's it's no it's no it's no secret that he doesn't pay taxes. And um, and in in his defense, he was against. That law when Trump did it. Oh, I know he was. Trump got mad that Bezos didn't want that law, and so Trump started attacking Amazon constantly. But in Bezos' defense, he did vocalize 
that it was a bad law and that he should have to pay taxes. So, I will give him that. Well, also, his employees pay more taxes than he does. He needs to pay his employees more a living wage instead of starting them out at $15 an hour. And treat them like they're human beings instead of numbers because the working conditions that they have there for, for Amazon... They need to pay them more and treat them like human beings, not like numbers. And they have a 150% turnover rate at Amazon. That is ridiculous. I, I will say in the $15 an hour thing, it depends where you live if it's a living wage. In our area, you can live very well on $15 an hour. Of course you can. So that, as far as across the board, people need to look at it. If you're living in Charlotte, New York City, Los Angeles, Atlanta, places like that, you're not going to be able to afford to live as well on $15 an hour. But in areas like ours, you can. And unfortunately, one of my friends works part-time there for six weeks in the evenings after he got off from his day job. And that's what they were paying their their warehouse workers there right off of uh, Billy Graham. Okay, it's right off. It's near the you know, it's near the airport because they ship out of the airport there. Anyway, it's fifteen dollars an hour. That's how much the warehouse workers are making. And in Charlotte. And there again, if that is a second job for fifteen dollars an hour, that's not too bad either. And I'm not I'm not trying to defend. It's not, but 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 the, when the man is making billions upon billions a year. I'm sorry. He can let go of a billion dollars of that and pay his workers more. He can. True, but as as the we're just trying to get the whole picture here. Basically, is what I'm doing. It's like got to play devil's advocate sometimes, and there are good things that Bezos does. There are charities that he gives to. So, as far as that goes, yeah, he's not evil. Not like somebody else that we won't mention, but we all know who he is. And Yeah, but he don't give nothing. Yeah. And well he steals from charity. Yeah, he does. But but that's another story entirely. But as far as if you look at the broad picture, yeah it's terrible that he's making all this money and not paying better wages, but you also have to put in there he's worked his way up. He's gotten to that plateau so, yeah, he's way overpaid, but he has gotten there himself. So, Oh, I'm not doubting yeah, him for any of that at yeah, all. I'm, I'm not I, trying to vilify you or anything. I'm just I'm trying to play both sides on it, just to be I'm fair. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve, I mean, I mean, he worked hard to get to where he's at. I'm not saying that he's didn't. I'm just stating is does... Does he need to be worth $89 billion? Well, nobody does. No. I mean, look at um, um, the very first author ever to become a billionaire with the sale of her books. And that was um, you, somebody that you don't like, but it's the uh, lady who wrote the Harry Potter books. J.K. I can't Rowe. think of her name right now. And, and I've, yes. I've given her credit because she was the first person to lose her billionaire status because she donated to charity. But yes. she's also made terrible comments about the transgender community, which is why she has so much negativity to her. So it's all, you have to look at all things. Yes, she's done good. Yes, she's done bad. 
so. Yes, so, but why can't he be more like her? And do you know if he just donated half of his wealth to charities and throughout the world? Oh my God. Do you know what kind of difference that would make in the world? $40 billion? Well, I look at it this way. The money he spent on going to space could have yeah. been multiplied by at least two or three up, if he had donated that money to homeless vets, poor that can barely feed themselves. If he publicly made those donations constantly, yes, he would be ridiculed because it's a tax write-off, but it's that versus going to space. And which one makes the better of the two, you know? I'm looking kind of up. Okay, it will, listen to this. It will cost you $28 million to go to space with Jeff Bezos. Here's what you get. A space tourism is, is expensive. So it costed $28 million for that one teenage boy to go with him. And where did he get the money from? That's the other question. His father bought it for him for his for graduation present. I didn't even yeah. get a car, so... $28 million for a ticket to for an 11-minute ride. And again, put that money towards homeless <laughs> vets. Put that money towards homeless people, families, kids. Put that money towards starving people. But, I mean, we could go on and on about that all night, but we're going to move on because I got another. Oh, here it is. The, he spent $5.5 billion, um, and the entire experience costed him $500 million a minute while it was up in the air. Yeah, see, that's ridiculous. But here's another amazing story on a different topic. Mm, this God is from CBS us. News. Tarantula venom may yield medication to help curb opioid epidemic. Okay, who just sits around and thinks, of, oh, I think I want to just get me a damn tarantula over here and just suck the venom right out of them and try that for a drug. I mean, who well, thinks of to, this? to answer your question, the first line of the, the article, researchers at the University of California, Davis, are trying to use the venom from tarantulas to develop a pain medication to help curb the opioid epidemic. And the, the quote here, Nature offers such a wide diversity of proteins that basically, for us, are building blocks of future medicines. And that was stated by Dr. Vladimir Yurov Yuravi, or however, you, I'm, I'm probably butchering his name and I apologize, of UC Davis Health. He's one of the lead researchers in a 20-person team. So, just imagine. Again, again, who thought of a tarantula? I mean, really? <laughs> who does that? It just, here it is. Here's how it goes. Okay, they're all got their marijuana cigarettes all lit up going, Dude, wonder what the venom of a tarantula would do. Oh, well, no, that's I'm, how it all goes I'm down. sure it's much more than that. Like... The 
the breaking down of the venom in the tarantula. Maybe it was they were studying it for possible relief from being bitten by a tarantula. And when they broke down the enzymes and everything in it, they started finding these other possibilities. That's how research works. You start on one thing and you find more things from it. Dude, I got that pet tarantula. Let's just go ahead and let it bite me and see what it feels like. <laughs> I wonder I wonder what radioactive tarantula venom would do. There's a question. Spider-Man tarantula venom. There you go. Spider-Man tarantula, tarantula venom. Good gravy. What kind of hairbrain crap are they going to think of next? Well... Now I, I mean, got a I'm few. I'm all for any kind of medicine that will get anybody off of any kind of addictive opioids, blah 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 blah. But that's the thing. What if they get addicted to tarantula venom at that point? Would it be safer though? That that's probably one of the things they're looking at. Is even is if it, it becomes addictive, venom poisonous. Well, it's venom, be poisonous? so it's venom. So it's obviously some kind of poison to it, but. For, for those who believe in God, he's put all kinds of things here for us. We just have to find them. We have to do a little bit that's of the work ourselves. That's what it says in the Bible. There's a cure for everything on the earth. Uh, every disease known to man and, and the cure is here on earth. So that's what it says. So we just got to figure out what it is. Can't they just like get some kind of tree bark and try that? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure there, there has been studies in that as well. Hey, you, you want to talk bad about Trump real quick? Oh, that's right. I thought that's you okay. would. Here we go. This is from TheGuardian.com. Kremlin papers appear to show Putin's plot to put Trump in the White House. Now, let's As remember, Trump that. refused to degrade, talk bad, denounce in any manner or form, speak bad about Putin. Now there's official documents that suggest Putin did help put Trump in the White House. We all know that. No, now now had, there's evidence. This is, a, this is the Russian word for it. He had compromise on um, Trump. Yeah, he has compromise on Trump. Right here in the article, Vladimir Putin personally authorized a secret spy agency operation to support a, quote, mentally unstable, end quote, Donald Trump in the 2016 U.S. presidential election during a closed session of Russia's National Security Council, according to what are assessed to be leaked Kremlin documents. It's no surprise there. We all knew this. Even, okay, let's go back to the very first debate where Hillary Clinton herself, the email lady, was debating him, and she said, pointed straight at him and said, that's Putin's puppet. That's who that is. Well, I honestly... Mean, she knew then she was getting briefed on what was going on. Honestly, you can't call that a, date. She, a debate. She actually wiped the floor with him. He oh, just used emotion and stupidity. Wrong. Wrong. Just constantly he interrupting, so which so is what stupid. he did, which turned into the crap show between him and Biden, and I mean, it's, well, did you see what's going on now? What? 
the campaign is being investigated on the thirty million dollars that was raised that they was supposed to have spent on the inauguration, and it's like they didn't even have any. Okay, they compared it to Barack Obama's inauguration, where he had all these A-listers performing. I mean, all these people, Jennifer Hudson, all these other people performed at his inauguration, which cost out, I think it was like $12 million, something like that, for his inauguration. Well, Trump had a budget of $30 million that he was supposed to spend on his inauguration. He had no A-listers performing. He had nobody. No one would come to his inauguration and perform for him. So it's basically bubblegum, honey buns, and whatever for his inauguration, but they said they spent $30 million on it. So now the campaign is being investigated where that $30 million went because they're comparing it to Barack Obama's inauguration. And it's like, it's no comparison of how much yeah. money was spent. Uh, and there's not going to be any receipts because we know Trump won't give any official receipts of anything. Tax records, nothing. He has so, to give it up. No. He has to. Just like the tax records he had to give up. They're, they're probably the, in the same the place as Hillary's emails that he kept talking about. But back to the email thing. You know, the thing that always irritated me is not one of his supporters condemned him or his daughter for using... Private, private emails email for government documents and information when even his daughter admitted to doing it and said, oh, I didn't know I couldn't. What was his whole campaign about? And she didn't know? So that just shows the level of stupidity in the Trump. So we'll move on. Okay, let's move on. Couple, because we can spend the whole show on this. Yes, we could. Couple, couple of coronavirus, of course... Yesterday, this article from Independent, on it was on Yahoo News from the Independent, uh, Wednesday, July 21st at 3.47 p.m., Texas Hospital records first U.S. case of Lambda variant of COVID. So there is now another, it is another variant, first detected in Peru last August and made up 81% of the South American country's COVID cases between April and June. So, another variant is now in the United States. And, you know, we went to dinner tonight and I I decided I think we're going to go back to going out to eat late because the restaurant was crowded and I just don't trust people. Where did you go? We went to a Mexican restaurant here in town and the, the staff, all but one that I saw, had masks on. And I'm guessing he had the the vaccine, so that's why he didn't wear a mask. Because with everybody else wearing one, it kind of says they're really strict about it in there. They still have a sign up on the door, and it's one of the nicest... Uh, let me just go ahead and shout out to them, because it's, it's Habaneros here in Morganton, and they had... Where's that at? It's near Case Farms plant, by the old movie theater, and down from Aldi, and... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, I mean, they, they had this really pleasant wear a mask sign with this nice little drawing that was like a mask saying, this mask smiling at you. And, I mean, it, just, it was a pleasant sign. It wasn't, oh, you're mandated, oh, you must wear a mask, wear a mask for other people. 
It was just a nice, please wear a mask. So, one, they have that going. And two, they had all their workers, but the one, like I said, who was probably vaccinated, all of them in masks. So, as far as the staff goes, no worries there. But it's just, every table is filling up, and you don't have the space like you used to, and I just don't trust people. And with the Delta variant on the rise like it is everywhere, I'm thinking I'm going to start going out to eat later when there's fewer people. So like 8, 9 o'clock at night. Yeah. Or go pick it up and bring it home because I'm just, I'm tired of dealing with people again. And I went into Walmart tonight and let me tell you, I was 10, not even 5 minutes into the store, I was done with the people in there. And that's becoming a common thing for Walmart here anymore. Is the, It's not the company. Nothing against the company. It's the patrons of the store just are annoying people who are stupid and rude and everything else. So, but on the, the COVID front also, this is from CBS Miami, CBS 4. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody tests positive for COVID-19 days after she was in Texas with Governor Greg Abbott visiting the border. She was vaccinated, and she says she is having mild symptoms, and her family is in good health, which we're thankful for, but she has had the potential of spreading it to the governor of Texas, who wants to arrest people for leaving because they didn't want to vote on fraudulent voting laws. Yeah, they can't, she can't do anything about it because they're actually in Washington doing work. Oh, so, um, the, it's, the Democrats from his state that, that refused to vote for that um, bogus uh, law that they tried to put in for um, voter suppression left, and they're all working in D.C. right now. Well, I Everyone still say if, if he's going to try and pursue that, they need to pursue crews who fled the country while his people literally froze to death in the when the power was out. While we're talking about this, about, about the uh, coronavirus vaccine and all that, did you um, get on Twitter any today? Did you look around? No. Okay, I retweeted out a tweet, and it showed this man. Uh, he is in Texas, and they're interviewing some, some somebody's interviewing him. And um, <clears throat> apparently he was one of those that had to be um, intubated uh, or whatever on um, you know the iron lung or whatever to help him breathe so now he's out of it and his lungs are recovering from it and he said on that interview that he is still going to refuse to take the vaccine because he doesn't trust the government and it's not the government I don't know how many people can't get this through their heads it is That's what he said. experts he said, no one's going to tell me what to put in my body. That was his words. Well, they're not telling, and I tweeted, they're asking. I, and I tweeted, and actually, I saw the article because Kathy Griffin tweeted it. And I chimed in on her post, and I said, well, let the natural selection begin. I said, the less Republicans there are, I hate to say it, but I did it. I said, the less Republicans, I said, because this is affecting them, more or less, the less numbers they are to polls, the more the Democrats is going to come out. 
and it's I not. Say that it's, true. it's not even all Republicans, because remember we've talked about some good ones on here lately. That oh, I they're know, speaking but what I'm saying it's is, just it's, the, it's the, the right wing media, Republicans, basically. It's the right wing media that is pushing it. But it's want, Fox News, it's Newsmax, is telling these people that don't trust the government. Oh, I know, and it's biased reporting with lies and proven yeah. lies, and they don't care because why? It supports their hate, and they feel yeah. validated. But you want some good news about the pandemic? What? This is from WSHU.org. California turned pandemic rentals into permanent housing for homeless people. It's pandemic what? Pandemic rentals. What's a pandemic rental? Uh, let's see. A year ago, Cheyenne Wright was pregnant and living with her four-year-old son, her boyfriend, and his mother. All things were not going well. Uh, let's see. Down through here. With nowhere to go, with nowhere else to go, Wright reached out to Joshua Ray, who was a social worker with their tribe, the Scotts Valley Band of Pom Pomo Indians. They're headquartered in the rural town of Lakeport, about a two-hour drive north of San Francisco. Ray says homelessness and poverty are huge problems for their tribe. That's why they applied for a $1.2 million grant from the state to purchase and renovate a 10-unit apartment complex in Lakeport, California. It's part of a new program called HomeKey, a statewide effort to quickly convert existing properties into temporary or permanent long-term housing. So, basically, it looks like it was an apartment building... Um, Guessing that it was used, it says turning unused hotels into housing became more than just a dream during the pandemic. As the coronavirus started to spread, California scrambled to get thousands of homeless seniors and people with medical conditions into hotels and motels. So basically it sounds like it was, they were trying to get people off the streets to prevent the spread further through homelessness and give them somewhere to stay. But... I mean, it's a fantastic idea to permanently house these people. It is. That is a very good idea. So Good for California. Hopefully very more places full, will, will take that. And I'm guessing it's probably like abandoned hotels and abandoned apartments that are no longer being used. Yeah, they're going to have to have a lot of upkeep done to them most likely. But is it not cheaper in the long run? to do that than deal with the homeless problem on the streets? Yeah. I would think so. But moving on, did you see the news out of the NHL this week? The NHL? I don't think I did, but I might have to remind me what it is. The first active player in NHL history has officially come out as gay. Shut the front door. It's 19-year-old, and I'm probably going to mispronounce the last name, and I apologize in advance, Luke Prokop, P-R-O-K-O-P. Prokop. I had uh, a resident, whenever I lived in Ohio, had the last name of Prokop at the apartment complex I worked at. Hmm. Oh. It says he's the first player signed to an NHL contract to actually come out. I'm trying to see if it says what team he's on. I can't 
can't tell by the uniform because I don't follow NHL. And I'm not seeing it as I scan through here. But he did have a Twitter post. So if you want to look him up, it's at L-U-K-E-P-R-O-K-O-P underscore six is his handle on Twitter. And he had a whole, it's about four or five paragraphs there where he's coming out in it. So, congratulations to him. And this was another debate that I'm about to get into. Um, it was... It says a Nashville Predators prospect. So apparently he's not on a team as of yet. But it sounds like he's a prospect for the national for the Nashville Predators. Uh, he's already under contract with the NHL, though, according to this article. So... Okay, may not so be assigned to a team, but actually is under contract to the NHL. If that makes any sense. Okay. I never knew that was a thing before this article. So, but that's what it sounds like. He's not assigned to a team, but the NHL has him under contract. Okay, here it is. The 19-year-old Canadian athlete was selected by the Nashville Predators in the 2020 NHL draft and told ESPN that he struggled throughout the last season and can't, and uh, coming out is something he believes will help ease his mind and allow him to play at his best. So good for him. Well, and, and also what I was getting ready to talk about was during Pride Month, D.C. had many different Pride posts. I mean, they really did support the community. And one of the things said about living your truth, and people were like, there's no your truth, it's truth or it's lies. And they don't understand that living in the closet is living a lie. Living your truth means you can actually finally be yourself, be open, not have to hide who you are, not have to lie about what you are every minute of every day, and worry about everything so, yeah, Paul. I'm going to tell you what I saw this week at Carowinds, which we've already debated about that. We're yep. not going to talk about it right now. But anyways, what I saw at Carowinds. Now, Carowinds theme park is owned by um, uh, Cedar Point in Ohio. <clears throat> so, they're a Cedar Point park. Um, I haven't been to Carowinds, and I can't tell you when. The reason why I'm speaking up and talking about this because we're talking about pride is I went inside. Uh, what's the last? You've been, you've been to Carowinds, haven't you, before, Chris? A long time ago. Yeah, so I have been too. It's been a long time ago for me, and it's not cheap to go as of right now. So that's a whole other subject. But anyways, <clears throat> you know how they have like little theme 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 areas, yeah. like um, they have a Snoop. Uh, I forget the name of it, but it's called. It's where they feature Woodstock, you know, and Snoopy and all that. It's like a Snoopy land. They have a Snoopy land there. And um, the, you know how each area has its own, like, shopping stores. You can go inside one of those stores and buy, like, themed merchandise for that area of the park and what have you. Well, my favorite store there was the Snoopy store. Um, it was called Camp Snoopy. So it was like a... A, a log cabin style looking house store on the outside and you just walk in there's no doors you just walked in and it really 
really surprised me at the amount of pride gear they were selling inside that Snoopy store. I was really impressed by it. They had pride Snoopy shirts with featuring carowinds on it and stuff. And I was like, that is super cool. They had like little, um, little woodstocks with a little pride flag. And it was just, I was like, they have really represented. I thought carowinds did a damn good job. With the and this is in the kids area. This is like for kids. This is where the kids party is, and they have pride stuff in there for kids. Yeah. It's amazing. And part of it's about the almighty dollar, and part of it's actually about doing the right thing. And yeah. does, does Viacom still own Carowinds, or is, do I, does Viacom still own Carowinds, or did they sell it? No, it's owned by Cedar Point. Cedar Point owns it. Cedar Point uh, Amusement Park out of Ohio owns it. Yeah, because I know when Viacom owned it, Viacom was very accommodating to the LGBT community as well. Because yeah. I worked for Blockbuster Music in the 90s. My favorite job I've ever had. I wish it still existed. Never would have left if they hadn't shut down. But they had in the insurance in 1996, I believe it was, when I signed on, your spouse or same-sex spousal equivalent. 1996. Wow. Nobody was offering that, but they did. Oh, I thought about you. Did you see what was the anniversary on September 21st for Madonna? Which one? It was the release of Who's That Girl? The, the movie? soundtrack for that. No, the, the movie, yes. you mean July 21st, because I shared that post that she posted. July 21st, I mean, July 21st, Because you said yes. September 21st, and I'm like, what's coming up? I'm there? sorry, uh, I meant July 21st. And let's face it, Who's That Girl? It's not an Academy Award-worthy film, but it was a very was enjoyable, movie. funny movie. I enjoyed it. It was and a very enjoyable movie. She got a lot of flack for it, but it was a funny movie. But we got it was a, a good movie. I'm, I'm going to touch on real quick, because I wasn't trying to offend you, but just because you mentioned it. The, the fame with Carowinds, I posted on Paul's page that I'm not doing anything without masks, and the kid behind him looked like he was flipping them off. And that's what's pictured. Like, if you go look at it without knowing, that's what well, it looks see, like. See, that's a, that's a picture of a picture. And the, and, the, and the one, he's going like this. He has the it's two fingers up. So, yeah. it's a blurry picture. Yeah, so, but, but it's it, not not flipping off. It does look like he's doing that. And I mentioned that yeah. I wasn't going anywhere without masks and the kid flipping them off. And I, one of them apparently took offense and I was like, I'm just saying I'm vaccinated. I'm not going anywhere without a mask. I don't care who you are. I don't trust you because Delta variant's running wild and we got another variant now in the country. I don't trust people. So I wear a mask wherever I go. Oh, and by the way, I went to the movies this week too. See, you're gonna you're gonna test the fates. But I went and saw the movie. Do you want to wait and talk about it on the second segment? Well, we can because we're rapidly running out of time, and I got a lot of stuff I wanted to mention. Okay, well, we'll talk about so, it on the second segment. Go ahead. The first up, the this is a book coming out in October from. Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama. 
This is what? from the Associated Press on MSN. Renegades Born in the USA is a bound edition of the popular Renegades podcast featuring conversations on everything from fame to cars to the country itself between former President Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen. Penguin Random House and Obama's Higher Ground Company announced Thursday that Renegades will come out October 26th. The $50 book will include rare photographs, handwritten Springsteen lyrics, and annotated Obama speeches. So, if you want to hear it, I'm guessing you could go find the Renegades podcast and listen to those stories. On the part about Bruce Springsteen, I did get to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame while living in Ohio back in 07, 08, 09. And um, on the very top floor, they featured an exhibition of uh, the time that I went was uh, Bruce Springsteen. And it was his notes for Born in the USA. It showed him, the, the notebook actually physically opened to that page where he had actually scribbled notes to the lyrics of Born in the USA. Uh, and his outfits and stuff like that. Anyways, it's just really cool seeing all his, how the, how our, a songwriter's notes come together as he's writing, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I've loved Bruce Springsteen since Dancing in the Dark, and the past few years, his politics have made me like him even more, so. And next up, this is from WFMZ.com, Redbox teams with W with Whirl, W-U-R-L, I'm guessing it's pronounced Whirl, to expand distribution of free content to its Redbox free live TV platform. The, one of the paragraphs in here I'll read real quick. With 100 channels of programming, free live TV caters to the tastes and interests of Redbox's 40 million customers. With a diverse and growing lineup of movies and television, news, lifestyle, and sports entertainment programming. Free live TV is easily enjoyed on Redbox.com, Roku, iOS, and Android devices. Apple TV, Android TV, Vizio Smart TVs, LG TVs, Xbox One, Xbox Series SX, Samsung, and Chromecast. So, if you're looking for an alternative to Pluto, you can do the Redbox free live TV platform. And okay, they're about one, to get more I content. Had no clue that there was a Redbox app. Yep, it's been around for a while now. I've got it on my Roku TV. I just I never watch it. So, what do they show on it? What is it's, Redbox? It's kind of like Pluto. There's older stuff that they run that, but it's free ad with ads and. It's a live format, and I think you can watch on-demand stuff as well. I never have. Next up from Screen Rant on the, the streaming thing. The Jeffersons, All in the Family, and others head to Amazon Prime and IMDb TV. I saw that. That was wonderful. So I'm wondering, because some of these are on the Roku channel, I'm wondering if it'll be like others where they have both the Roku channel and IMDb TV and Prime, but... All in the Family, The Jeffersons, and Good Times will be going to Amazon Prime slash IMDb TV. Lear is a producer, writer, and director known for creating the sitcoms above, as well as The Jeffersons, 227, Different Strokes, Mod, St. Ferdinand Son, and One Day at a Time. So I don't know how many more of those will come through, but it says the comedies 227 and Different Strokes will launch on Amazon Prime Video on July 15th. The Jeffersons, St. Ferdinand Son, and Sanford will debut later this year. So apparently the Sanford spinoff is going to be on there too, which is, for Sanford and Son fans, that's pretty significant. So, See, I didn't realize there was a spinoff. All in the Family, Good Times, Mod, and One Day at a Time will also launch on July 15th, but on IMDb TV. 
So if you don't have Prime but you want some of those shows, you'll get them for free with ads on IMDb TV, which has a lot of good stuff on it too, by the way. So damn, that's another one I need to download because I'd love to watch. Start, love to start watching one day at a time. And since July fifteenth is coming on, they're there. Peacock announced earlier this year that they were going to do a Frogger TV game show. Today they announced the host. It'll be Damon Wayans Jr. And that is based on the old Frogger video game. He'll be good at that. Um, By the way, is there anybody streaming Alice anywhere? No. It is airing on Antenna TV. I think weeknights at 7. But nobody has it streaming. Which... And that's real quick tangent here, but it, you bring it up. Lois and Clark was announced that it's coming to HBO Max, I believe, August 3rd. I can't bear to watch Lois and Clark anymore, The New Adventures of Superman, because of Dean Cain. Like, he has alienated me from watching his stuff because of his stupidity. And I'm like, why are you going to celebrate him when you've got Murphy Brown and Night Court and Alice and Dukes of Hazard and oh. all these other shows that you could put on there that you're not yes. that would bring people to your platform. Like Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman will have some people. But you add Murphy Brown, Alice, the Dukes of Hazard, um, just go through the, the list of shows that don't Warner Brothers have. Hi. There's tons of stuff that's not on there is that they anyone, should. Is anyone streaming the original Dallas? That I don't know because I've never looked. Or Falcon Crest? I would love to be watching those. Warner Brothers has even been putting stuff to Tubi. And I'm like, if nothing else, slap them on there. I'm going to look that up on my Apple TV to see which one. Because, you know, Apple will pull from everything to see what what, what it's streaming on. So I'm going to pull it up on Apple. But Paramount Plus also announced this past week, Rise of the Pink Ladies. The prequel to Greece. Oh, God. I'm torn on this one. Because it could be interesting. Certainly has to be better than Greece 2, I would think. Shit. Sorry. So, we'll see how it goes. But this is on Yahoo Life. On Friday, Paramount Plus announced a new female-focused series, a Greece prequel called Greece Rise of the Pink Ladies, all about, you guessed it, the Pink Ladies, the group of satin pink jacket-wearing women consisting of Rizzo, Frenchie, Jan, and Marty, played by Stockard Channing, Didi Khan, Didi Khan, Jamie Donnelly, and Dinah Manoff, respectively. Yeah, you can buy you Alice, have, but you can't You have to buy Alice. And That is crap. You would think that it... I mean, especially with it airing weeknights on Antenna TV, yeah, it may not be the greatest, but... It is something that people would be interested in. Okay, we were talking about Alice and what else was it? Murphy Brown, Night Court, Dukes of Hazard. Murph- I mean, there's Murphy all kinds Murphy of... Murphy Brown. Murphy Brown is not streaming. Murphy Brown TV show, here we go. I don't believe Dukes of Hazard is streaming. I don't believe you Night Court buy is streaming. That. You yeah. gotta buy that too. You can buy them. You- and... Murphy Brown, I don't think past the first season of the original series is available. I don't know for sure. But moving on real quick still, Kevin Smith made a huge announcement this week. Lionsgate has optioned Clerks 3. So we'll be getting a sequel 
to Clerks again, and I can't wait. Are you serious? The original cast is coming back. And Clerks 2 was so much better than Clerks, so I can't wait to see this one. Um, the four-part docu-series from J.J. Abrams about UFOs is coming to Showtime, and I believe they had the date in here. Let me... Because I know this was announced earlier. Yes, the thing will catch up. Sunday, August 8th. All four episodes of the docuseries will be released at midnight. So if you want to see the J.J. Abrams four-part UFO docuseries, it'll be on Showtime Sunday, August 8th at midnight. I saw that too. And... Last week we discussed the motion comic for Justice League 2 from Zack Snyder. Yeah. This week, it's not happening. They've really? already pulled the plug on it. They pulled it? What happened? Uh, they didn't really say in the articles that I've read, but it's no longer an option. And today, the Marvel VP announced Hawkeye and Miss Marvel will premiere on Disney Plus by the end of this year. So, we're about to get What If on Disney Plus. Okay, what's a Miss Marvel? Miss Marvel is Kamala Khan. She is Muslim. And she's a character that dates back prior to the Kamala Khan character. But they're going with the current iteration of Kamala Khan. So, so, is it going to be Hawkeye from, like, the MCU? Yes. Jeremy we Renner. Know? Jeremy Renner will be reprising Hawkeye. Hawkeye's already done. It's been filmed. So, it is a guarantee. The movie. The series. Um, well, what's different between Miss Marvel and just Marvel? I'm not real familiar with her character, so I can't really tell you too much. Okay. I didn't know if it's the same character or not, but, okay, I was just trying to figure that out. Well, also this week, Josh Sagara from Arrow fame, he was also in AJ and the Queen and Dolly Parton's Christmas on, in the Square that we, I believe we reviewed that last year. That kind of sucked. He has two new things coming. First up, on August 26th, the second season of The Other Two will premiere on HBO Max. And just announced yesterday, he has been cast in the TV series She-Hulk. Isn't this supposed to be a comedy? She-Hulk is a legal comedy that centers on the eponymous heroine, a.k.a. Jennifer Walters, an attorney who has similar powers to her cousin Banner, the Hulk. The She-Hulk series is directed by Kat Koiro and Anu Valia, and I apologize for screwing up those names, with Jessica Gao serving as head writer. So, there you go. That, that article so is from Disney. I'm not sure Denmark. how I'm going to like that. I love the She-Hulk character. I don't know how the comedy is going to work. So, exactly. we'll see. More casting news, this time for DC. Batgirl has been announced for the HBO Max movie. She will be played by Leslie Grace. And being that I know nothing about Leslie Grace, makes me happy that she's cast because it's an unknown in a role that doesn't need a name. 
So instead of... Kind of like they did with the Harry Potter characters. Yeah. They were unknowns in- until then. Instead of spending tons of money on an actor that has a name, you don't need a name for the character that's already well-known. It says in the article that she was in, in the Heights, but I didn't watch it either, so I don't know. From IGN.com, the DC has announced the cast of Injustice Gods Among Us, the animated movie. And there are some pretty interesting casting choices in this. One, Justin Hartley. Do you know who Justin Hartley is? That name sounds terribly familiar. He was the Green Arrow on Smallville. Prior to playing that, he was in the pilot for Aquaman for the... I can't remember if it was the WB or the CW, but it was literally the year the WB merged with UPN and formed the CW. Yeah. His pilot was filmed prior to that merge, and it was not a real cheap show to produce, and that was part of the reason they did not pick up the Aquaman series. So he ended up getting cast on Smallville, which was by the same people who did the Aquaman pilot. And I enjoyed the Aquaman pilot. It's by no means the best Aquaman we could have gotten, because Jason Momoa did fantastic. But it was really good. Um, he's also in the show This Is Us and, on and NBC. Plus, Jason Momoa is pretty to look at. Well, I'd prefer Justin Hartley personally, but... Anyways... Anson Mount as Batman, Laura Bailey as Lois Lane and Ramakushna, Zach Callison as Damian, Brian T. Delaney as Green Lantern, Brandon Michael Hall as Cyborg, Edwin Hodge as Mr. Terrific and Killer Croc, Oliver Hudson, Goldie and Kurt Hudson, or Goldie and Han's son as Plastic Man, Jillian Jacobs as Harley Quinn, Yuri Lowenthal as Mirror Master Flash and Shazam, Derek Phillips as Nightwing and Aquaman, Kevin Pollock as Joker and Jonathan Kent, Anika Noni Rose as Catwoman, Reed Scott as Green Arrow and Victor Zaz, Farhan Tahir as Rachel Ghoul, Fred Tedeshore as Captain Adam, Janet Varney as Wonder Woman, and Andrew Morgado as Mirror Master Soldier. So they are definitely pulling in some big name characters. And real quick on the DC front, and I'm only mentioning it because the guy that I heard it from is very reliable, but he did caution. It is rumor only. He has no verification one way or the other for it happening. So, again, strictly rumor, but the rumor that he had heard is that Warner Brothers is to announce... For 2022, a Wonder Woman animated series. So, I am hoping this rumor comes true, and it's not just rumor. Because they have announced a Superman and a Batman series, animated series, for 2022. So, hopefully, they they throw one more in there. Yeah, those two have been overdone, and I'll watch them, I'm not denying that. But it's time for somebody else, and Wonder Woman has never had one. But... That ends the joyous news. First up, Babyface has announced that he is splitting from his wife. 
which is sad because I do love Babyface and I hate to see things are not going well in his life. But we've also had a few losses this week. And as my computer is catching up here. First up, Jeff Labar, guitarist from Cinderella, passed away Wednesday, July 14th at the age of 58. The cause of death has not yet been revealed. From This was from Billboard.com. And I actually did like some Cinderella stuff, so sad to hear that. Um, also, the big news last week, July 17th, Biz Markey had passed away, and I was never a fan, yeah. but, and I never did understand how he got to be so popular, but I have to give it to him, he was the most successful bad singer I've ever seen in my life, and that includes William Hung. I was gonna say, William Hung is pretty bad. But he wasn't the success that Biz Markey hit. True. I mean, Biz Markey, Biz Markey took Just a Friend, I believe, to number one on the charts. So, my condolences to him and his family and friends. Like I said, I wasn't a fan, but I would not wish any kind of thing like this on anybody. Said he died from complications of diabetes in a Baltimore hospital Friday night. And that was Friday night of last week. This is July 22nd. That's horrible. This. It was six foot three. He he got an MTV nomination for Best Rap Video in 1990. And then, did it say anything about... website. Did it say anything about the song hitting number one or... I'm looking that up. Okay, while you're looking that up, I'm going to move on because we're running out of time. This is from usatoday.com. Uh, July 19th, Robbie Steinhardt, former violinist and vocalist with the band Kansas, dies at the age of 71. So the okay, music yeah. industry got hit pretty hard this week. It says he died in a Tampa, Florida hospital of complications from pancreatitis. Okay. The Just a Friend song, the highest it ever charted was number nine in the uh, Billboard Hot 100 charts in 1990. So, top ten at least, which is... Yeah, it was in top ten. It, it takes a bit to get there, because there's a lot of good songs that didn't hit the top ten. And you know, just speaking of songs that never hit number one, I was listening to an old Rick D's... It's been months ago. And he mentioned that the Pointer Sisters had never gotten to number one. They had gotten as high as number two. And I was like, that can't be right. So I looked it up on Billboard charts. Because Rick D's was from Music and Records magazine. The Billboard charts, the highest the Pointer Sisters ever got was number two. Which is hard to believe. From all the hits that they had. I mean, Jump, Automatic, the Neutron Dance, Fire, I'm So Excited, which charted twice, two different times for I'm So Excited, and they never hit number one. And they were phenomenal, let me tell you. 
What's the three million? That, Paul's showing me three million dollars. That's how much. That's how much Bismarcky is worth at his death. Three yep. million dollars. Um, so apparently he made quite a bit off of that one major hit. And then finally, this is from RollingStone.com. William F. Nolan, sci-fi author of Logan's Run, dead at 93. Prolific who author wrote hundreds of non-fiction pieces, poems, and screenplays in addition to his science fiction work. And I don't know if you ever watched Logan's Run. I've never read the book, if there is a book. No. But I enjoyed the film. It was introduced to me through an ex that I dated. And there's actually a TV series with Gregory Harrison that Warner Brothers put out on DVD at one point, and I've got it. And the TV series wasn't that bad either. It was one season, like 12 episodes, but... Says Nolan passed away on July 15th after a brief hospital stay following complications from an infection. He was 93. So, if you get the chance, watch Logan's Run. Think of him when you do. Because it says, The science fiction author best known for co-penning the 1967 classic Logan's Run with the late George Clayton Johnson. So apparently it was a book that turned into a film in 1976. So, so again, we have too many losses this week, but at least their work will live on for their fans and loved ones to always remember them with. Yeah. And when we come back, it is our 100th episode spectacular. So... We will be reviewing, well, a couple of hundredth episodes. We'll get into the, the whole deal there yeah, in a little bit. But, there's a whole logistics issue going on here. But we'll, we, we were choosing hundredth episodes of series this week, and there was a flaw. So when we come back, we'll discuss that. Stay tuned, everybody. And we're back, and since I know everybody's on the edge of their seat waiting for your story, Paul, about going to the movie theater, we're going to start off the top of this segment with it. So, Paul, tell us about your time at the theater. Okay, well, I went and saw the new Marvel movie. Help me out again, Chris. Black I can't remember the name of Black Widow. How do you yeah, go see a movie and not that. remember the title just a few days later? I know, it's just... I'm blaming it on COVID brain. I really okay, am. sure. But, um, I went... Uh, we'll I we'll just let went. Paul believe that. We won't tell him out there in podcast land. Whatever. <laughs> Anyways, um, me and two of my friends went to the movies Sunday night, and we went to the 9.30 showing, and it ended up us, just us three in the whole theater to see the Black Widow movie. And you talk about super cool. That was super cool. We had our popcorns. We had our drinks. But anyway, this was a backstory of Natasha Romanoff. It starts off with her being a kid at the very beginning of it. And her and her sister and her family, um, what was going on with them. And uh, I don't want to say too much because I would give away too much at the very beginning because it, it, it's actually gives a full backstory on on how she became, you know, quote-unquote, the Black Widow. Uh, it is an amazing film. 
Uh, I want to see it again. And uh, it's it did not let me down. I was afraid that it was going to be something that was going to be a little over my, over my head about, and it's going to be it was so going to be so far fetched you couldn't believe any of this. But it was actually really good. And I, I really enjoyed the movie. I got to see it as well. I just stayed at home and watched it. And I will say, the end credit scene. Yes, there it is opened one. Opened it up for another movie, but. If you did not watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you're not really going to understand the end credit scene. So, True. already they're tying together, which is the. I know it's as a marketing standpoint, it works great, but as a person who wants to see all these things, it's kind of detrimental to them that you have to watch everything to be able to get it all. And. Yeah. I mean, people like me, we're going to watch it anyways, so there's a ton of us out there. Not saying that there's not a market for it, but it's not like DC that the CW shows you can watch each one individually, and then they have the big crossover where you have to watch all the parts. But you can watch any individual show, not need the others. The movies, you can watch the movies and not need anything from the TV. With Marvel, it's getting more and more... If you don't watch the movies and the TV, you're not going to know what's going on. So, I don't know how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. continued running because I quit watching it after the fourth season. And the fourth season, the only reason I went back was because Ghost Rider was going to be on it. And I was not impressed with that either. But, the that that's going to be the thing that could make or break Marvel. Is It could make them because... People buy everything and watch everything and subscribe to everything and go to the theaters and all that. Or it could get to the point where they can't afford to do all that, so they wait and watch it at a later date when it's part of the service or they can afford it. And that's the the catch-22 there. You just don't know how it's going to go. Most likely it's going to continue to go as a success. But there is the possibility of too much at one time where you have to do everything so and quite honestly most people that are going to watch the Marvel movies in theaters will probably have the Disney channel or the Disney plus subscription so as far as that goes not really an issue but it could become one is what I'm saying and with that yep did you pull it up on IMDB which one the Black Widow I haven't pulled it up at all but anyways, I've got to pull it up right here. Um, it's got 6.9 stars out of 122,889 reviews. I mean, come on. It, it deserves better than that. It was a well, damn good movie. I'll, I'll start the top ten, and while I'm doing that, go to Rotten Tomatoes and see what the score is. Okay. So at number ten, a new release named Pig, and I know nothing about it. $970,935, so apparently some people do. That's only on 552 screens as well, so very, very big opening for it. Number 9 down from 6 last week is Cruella, with just over 1.1 million, 8 weeks, 83, almost 83.5 million after 8 weeks. Number 8, also a new release, Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain. Almost $2 million in its first week, with 927 theaters. 
Down from 5 to 7, A Quiet Place Part 2. Eighth week in release, almost $155 million grossed. Down from 4 to 6, The Forever Purge. $4.1 million in its third week, almost $36 million total. And the first Purge I saw in the theater, The Forever Purge, I have not seen yet. But the first Purge I really enjoyed. I thought it was one of the better ones. Um, well, all the Purges that I've seen so far, I've enjoyed. Yeah, I've, I've not watched the show, and I've not watched Election Day, or Election Year, or whatever it was. But I've watched the first election one Year's and the first spooky. one. The first Purge. The first film, The Purge, and the first Purge I've watched. Down from three to five, The Boss Baby Family Business. Remember, this is also on Peacock. Its third weekend brought in just under $5 million dollars. Three weekend or three weeks in release, over forty-four and a half million dollars grossed. Down from two to four, F9: The Fast Saga. Over seven and a half million dollars in its fourth weekend, uh, almost a hundred and fifty-five million dollars to date. Debuting at number three, eight million eight hundred one thousand three hundred ninety-one dollars on over twenty-eight hundred theaters. Escape Room: Tournament of Champions. Down from first place last week to second place this week. It's two week gross, $131,609,167. Weekend was just under $26 million. Of course, The Black Widow. What did you find from Rotten Tomatoes for the score? The tomato meter, 81%. Um, audience score out of. Now, the, um, now the 81% is with 381 reviews. Um, the audience score with 10,000 well, 10, plus reviews was 92%. So audiences are liking it better than the critics is basically what it comes down to. And that's usually the case with the comic book films. Yeah. And number one, first week in release, also on HBO Max, and it knocked out the biggest grossing film of the pandemic for one weekend from number one. So... Apparently, HBO Max didn't hurt it too bad. With just over $31 million, Space Jam, A New Legacy, debuted at number one. Now, it will not hit the numbers that Black Widow has made. Granted, because of the HBO Max release. And I'm not going to watch it, so Paul's over there doing the gag thing with his finger in his mouth. But I was never a fan of the original Space Jam. I do know Wonder Woman appears in Space Jam, A New Legacy. So that's a plus, but the $31 million for a film that you can watch as part of your subscription on HBO Max, it's impressive. It's better than Tom and Jerry did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, look at Tom and Jerry. I mean, how much did Tom and Jerry end up doing, I wonder? Uh, it's not even on here anymore, so I don't know. I'll say a couple hundred million, probably. Let me see if it comes up real quick. Because I can't remember what it opened. It, you know, they had the Space Jam A New Legacy open at $31 million. Uh, domestic opening for Tom and Jerry, $14,112,629. So not even half is, of what Space Jam made. But what was the overall? Worldwide, one hundred twenty, almost $126 million worldwide. 
46,041,123 domestic. So in one weekend, Space Jam has made two-thirds of what Tom and Jerry made in its entire run. Yeah, but there was tons more screens open for Space Jam there was for Tom and Jerry. Uh, I don't know if there were. There were fewer movies, so Tom and Jerry had well, less... Plus, Tom less and Jerry was released out in the middle of all that pandemic mess, too. It was February, so it was starting to cool down, but still pretty rampant. And so, anyways. that brings us to our reviews, and first up, we're going to explain the, the situation... Paul went through IMDb to find the 100th episode of MASH, and IMDb disagrees with epguides.com and Hulu if you go through the order on Hulu. According to epguides.com and Hulu, the Margaret's Engagement episode is the 100th episode. According to IMDb, Lieutenant Radar O'Reilly is the 100th episode. So... I watched both. Paul watched Lieutenant Radar O'Reilly. We're going to talk about both real quick. Same thing happened with Supernatural. Paul got the wrong count on it. And I watched the 100th episode. Didn't have time to watch the other one that Paul watched. Paul watched the other one. So I'll review the 100th and he'll review the 101st. So basically that's where it comes down. is The count was off on different sites. So... Well, like I said, I physically counted them from, I went through each season and counted them and added them up. That's how I got to the hundred. Yeah, like I said, because Hulu had it, I think, 24 for the first three seasons, which was 72, and then 25 for the fourth season, which brought it to 97, so that made the third episode of season five on MASH, the 100th episode, IMDb lists it as episode 2. So, I mean, it's, yeah, just, it's all there's it's all wrong. So we're, we're going to go with the two that we found to be the 100th episode and go from there. And I'll, okay. I'll go ahead and start so that we can both talk about the other one. Because the one thing that I, I did talk about Paul with earlier is... To me, uh, the 100th episode should be some kind of event episode. And whether it's an event within the show that you had to watch the show to understand, or it's an event that anybody can pick up on and come in, that's what it should have been. And unfortunately for me, these two episodes of MASH, neither one of them came up as an event show. The Margaret's engagement that's all it is, is she gets engaged while she's gone, and when she comes back, she has the news she's engaged. I'm not a big fan of MASH anymore. I, we watched it when it was originally airing, and I watched it regularly at that point, but it just it doesn't hold up for me. Now, some of the actors I still enjoy, like Jamie Farr was in The Cool Kids as a recurring character on there, and I really like him. Gary Berghoff, of course, episodes of Wonder Woman, and... He was in a band with Linda Carter back in the day, so he's got some speciality there to him. Harry Morgan, of course, before MASH was on Dragnet. Alan Alda, just a legend right there. So, But to me, 
I'm not going to rate it because I'm just not a big fan. And honestly, I didn't find either episode to be really funny. There were moments where I was like, yeah, that's kind of funny, but nothing would make me flat out laugh. So that brings us to the one that Paul watched, which was Point of No Return, because again, or no, that's Supernatural, sorry, Lieutenant Radar uh, O'Reilly. Lieutenant Radar, yeah. Was the, the other one that IMDb lists as the 100th episode. And Paul, you picked it, so you talk about it. Okay, Lieutenant Radar O'Reilly. This is an episode where, um, uh, let's see, um, Corporal Radar, the, 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 the character Radar, um, was playing cards with, at the very beginning with, um, with uh, let's see, Captain, with the Captain Benjamin, and there's, there's all the characters there at the very beginning as they were all playing cards and um anyway one of them made a bet that he could turn uh let's see turn um radar into a lieutenant and he did it and at that point you know radar was like really upset that no one was taking him seriously and that uh he was he was being forced to telling people what to do during the episode but uh, I really, it boils down to um, the, uh, the, the see, um, Alan Alda's character um, in it. He's Captain Benjamin, and then there's also Captain B.J. Honeycutt. Those two, two, those two guys actually have the most creative wisecracks, and I really enjoyed hearing them doing their wisecracks. So, um, they had little one-liners, and I really enjoyed the little one-liners they were saying. So, it, it was cute, you know, MASH mm-hmm. had its time in history, and um, I remember growing up on it, I think I, the reason why I picked MASH to do the 100th episode is because I grew up watching this as a kid and growing up into my early teen years, and I do remember seeing the last episode of MASH when it came on and it was so sad and about the way they you know when they were filming it they had panned out and the, the it was being filmed by a helicopter and it kept going above the set and it ended up showing the whole set of MASH you know how it's set in the desert and all this and it's showing all the you know the all the different trailers for all the actors and all this, it just like showed the whole set of MASH and what it looked like from the aerial photography. And I thought that was simply amazing watching that. And I'll, I'll always remember these episodes as a kid. And MASH had, I know of two spinoffs. I don't know if there were any others. One was a success, one wasn't. But we also in my house watched After MASH, which was a series spun off after the series finale of MASH. And it was not well received. And then, of course, there was Trapper John M.D. that was spun out of MASH. Yeah. And um, for me, for this episode, I wasn't real thrilled with Hawkeye Pierce and B.J. Honeycutt's back and forth. But the part that amused me the most was Cleaner and Radar, where Radar was trying to teach Cleaner how to use the announcement system, the P.A., and yeah, the PA system. It was that was pretty good scene, but that was the only thing that really stood out to me in the entire episode. 
to be honest. Yeah. I mean, the the nurse that wanted Radar at first, and then when he became the lieutenant, he, she no longer wanted him. And it was kind of like wanting the forbidden fruit. I yeah, guess. that didn't do anything for me. The the letter from Potter's granddaughter to that Radar read to him while he was getting his hair cut, I wasn't amused by that. But the the scene between Cleaner and, and Radar on the PA system, that was pretty good. So Yeah. But again, it was not any kind of event episode and it granted this no, not really. it aired October twelfth, nineteen seventy six. So I don't know if they were doing event episodes on hundredth episodes at that point because let's face it, today it's harder to get to one hundred than it was back then. Because yeah, you had a lot of series that didn't make it anywhere close to a hundred, but you had even like the fifties and sixties, you'd have thirty or so episodes in a season. So in your fourth season you, mean, you had Perry Mason, you had I mean, there's yeah. just tons of shows. Alfred Hitchcock presents. And the Alfred Hitchcock yes. Hour only ran three seasons, but I believe it hit ninety seven episodes in those three seasons. So yeah. It was a different time, so they may not have thought 100 was an event, but it is now. Plus, back then, all you had was rabbit ear television. You didn't have cable. Yeah. And and like Smallville, I was talking about if an event within the show, Smallville's 100th episode is where Jonathan Kent dies. So, outside of the series Smallville, not so much of an event. But inside the series of Smallville, it is a big, major event for the series. So, and that's kind of what happened with the Supernatural, is it's not an event outside of the series, but in the season that they were in. Because Point of No Return was the 100th episode that I found, and it was basically... Dean was willing to take Michael and be his vessel to battle Lucifer. Okay, I know all these episodes because I've seen them multiple times, so I know exactly which one you're talking about. And they brought back um, their their brother, who was their their dad fathered a child with a woman that they never knew about and found out as the series progressed, they had a brother. He was on there, and Zachariah was trying to use him to get Dean to be the vessel for Michael. And so in in the context of the series, it is a big event episode. But there's no real huge surprise guest star, nobody coming back, to fill a void so outside of the series it's not much an event if you look at it on the basis of what it's about but inside the series it was a major event so it was a very good episode but it was also where they were doing the battle of heaven and hell in the fifth season and that was part of the issue is you had all of this leading up to the fifth season and I believe that was where 
they intended to end it originally was the fifth season. And having the Battle of Heaven and Hell would have been a good ending. But it went on for ten more seasons. It's like, how do you go from the Battle of Heaven and Hell for ten more years? They did it, and they had some really good episodes along the way. Oh, but yeah, they did a damn good job of that. They, they blew the wad in the fifth season, and that was the problem with it. So, what was Hammer of the Gods that you watched? Uh, the Hammer of the Gods was the... Um, I'm pulling it up right now. All of a sudden, my phone just flipped over from 5G to 4G, so it's slower now, for, so forgive me. Because it, um, it was the two in a row. It was Point of No Return and then Hammer of the Gods was the next episode in the season. Yeah, what this is, is um, uh, they ended up staying at a really nice hotel. Um, and what ended up happening was uh, that in that nice hotel, um, it was a four-star hotel, they... Uh, they ended up the the trickster um what's his name anyway gabriel he started out as being the trickster but he turned out to being gabriel the angel archangel archangel gabriel took over his body and um it ended up they they found that this plot was going on behind the scenes of them that this uh some kind of a demon has taken control of this hotel and they were like, there's some kind of demon convention and, um, all these different deities from all around the world was out at a convention there. And they drew Sam and Dean into it to try to kill them off. And why they call it the hammer of the gods is because I mean, all these major gods from all around the world, from every, uh, like, you know, every sect and religion, was there and but they were in human form of course like gabriel was and it was the whole plot of trying to get trying to kill sam and dean so and but of course they weren't successful looking over the cast list on imdb it's missing robert saner who played bobby but other than that it's more of an event episode than the other one because of the cast where you have Mark Pellegrino as Lucifer and Matt Frewer as Pestilence. And if you don't know Matt Frewer, he was Max Hedrum back in the 80s. And that, for fans of sci-fi and genre shows like this... Did you say Max Hedrum? Yeah, Matt Frewer was Max Hedrum. I don't know that. Yeah. He was on the show Eureka. I mean, he's, he's been in some good stuff along the way. And, of course, as Max Hedrum, he was in Back to the Future Part 2, wasn't he? Yeah. Because wasn't he in the 80s cafe, and they did him and Ronald Reagan, and... But I'm just pulling him up, he's... He's in the new Perry Mason TV series. He was Fear of the Walking Dead. Uh, Castlevania, he did a voice. Uh, Altered Carbon, he was in three episodes. Uh, Orphan Black. 
So lots of genre shows, The Librarians, Falling Skies, Eureka that I mentioned, Stephen King's Bag of Bones miniseries, uh, Alice TV miniseries, he was the White Knight, he was in Watchmen in 2009 as Mala Amalek, so lots of big stuff that he's been in along the way, an episode of Masters of Horror, if you remember that series, Taken, the miniseries that was on sci-fi about the alien abductions, which was a really fantastic series. Steven Spielberg produced it. So, he alone makes it a bit more of an event episode. And, oh, the, the Incredible Hulk animated series, which is on Disney+. Plus. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. But he was the voice of the leader. So, lots of stuff to to go back with Matt Furrer on. The, the original TV miniseries, The Stands, listed on here. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, the A Matter of Time episode. And of course, right there, all 14 episodes, Max Hedrum. He was Edison Carter and Max Hedrum. But... It's not mentioning him for Back to the Future Part 2, so I don't know if he actually did appear in Back to the Future Part 2. I know Ronald Reagan was a Max Hedrum type in there. Oh, he was Eddie the Truck Driver in the Supergirl movie with Helen Slater. So he's been a lot of stuff. Yep. So... So like I said, he makes it a bit more of an event than what the episode before it was. And, of course, Mark Pellegrino as Lucifer was a huge part of Supernatural. So him being there definitely makes it an event within the series. Yeah, Mark Pellegrino played a damn good devil. <laughs> yeah, but he was, he was the devil you don't like, as opposed to Tom Ellis, who is the devil that you love in Lucifer, the TV series. Because yeah. he's great. That's my Lucifer, is Tom Ellis. I love him. But did, did you have anything more you wanted to say about this episode? or? No, it's, it's just, um, of course, you know, just, it was um, what I was reading about it up here because I couldn't choose my words good. It said, I like the description that they gave was, um, Sam and Dean was kidnapped by a group of gods, including Kali, Ganesh, Baldor, and held hostage in a small hotel. The gods want to use Sam and Dean as bargaining chips to choose to stop the apocalypse, but Gabriel shows up and warns them that, that if Lucifer finds them, he will kill them, and unfortunately one of the gods turns on the rest of them and Lucifer appears. So that's basically what happens in the show. And it, was a, it was a damn good show. I, I love Sam and Dean on all the shows. And and for those out there wondering, we, we decided not to rate these two because there was some discrepancy on the 100th episode, and since we both didn't watch the episodes, we're not rating MASH or Supernatural. But I think we'll go ahead and rate Supergirl and X-Files, mainly because Supergirl, 
I come into it as someone who has watched every episode, and you come into it as having probably not watched any episode. So, I, I want to see the, the difference in the ratings when we get to it. But the 13th episode of Supergirl aired on February 23rd of 2020. It was called It's a Super Life. And Supergirl was dealing with a fallout with Lena Luthor, of course, the sister of Lex Luthor, who started out as friends with Supergirl. And when she felt betrayed because Kara did not tell her her secret identity... She started to not trust Supergirl, which led to a falling out between the two, and she was easily manipulated into working against Supergirl. And this episode had Mr. Mitch's Pitalik in it. It was a new actor taking on the role, which I don't know if you caught it, but he meant, they mentioned him having a different face. It's because it was an, a new actor in the role of Mitch's Pitalik, as opposed to what they'd had before. And he is trying to do his penance, so he is offering different realities to Supergirl if she had taken a different path, as opposed to being the way it played out. And he shows her how it would have gone down. And in this, Mixtus Pitalik is played by Thomas Lennon. And some of the they were all people who had been featured in the Supergirl series along the way, but coming back in this 100th episode, Sam Witwer, who, again, sci-fi genre fans know him from being human, he was Doomsday on Smallville, he's been in other things. Uh, Chad Lowe, the brother of Rob Lowe, who was on Life Goes On back in the 80s and 90s, and to me, one of the best guest stars they've had in the series. She played the mother of Samantha Arias, who became Rain on the show, R-E-I-G-N. Patricia Arias was played by Betty Buckley. If you don't know Betty Buckley, she was in M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening. She was in the, not Signs, the... What was the one with the the split about the different personalities? She was the therapist yeah. in that film. And she was Abby on Eight is Enough back in the 70s. When the mother, who or the, the woman who played the mother on the show actually passed away in real life, they brought in Abby as a replacement on the show to keep the show moving along and have two parents and that's where I knew her from best. She's also a major star on Broadway and the stage. Uh, Chris Wood reprised Monel. So, within the context of the show, there is a lot of event in this episode. And the, the different realities and the way they played out, some of them were really depressing, some of them were kind of angering, and some of them were like well, nothing's really going to change. So, what did you think about it, Paul? I'm trying to figure out which one was the 100th episode, so I'm going to pull it up on IMDb. It's called It's a Super Life. Season 5, Episode 13. 
Okay, now I've been going back and forth, so I was going to count them. Okay, there it is. Uh, well, with it being my first time seeing it, and with the blonde-headed chick playing Supergirl, trying to impress that one girl, by she didn't want to hurt her feelings, um, but she wanted to tell her who she was, and um, then apparently this um, magical guy, who was apparently, what I could understand, was not a really good person to begin with. You don't know Mitch's previous Huh? You don't know Mitch's Pidalik, the imp from the fifth dimension? No. I did not know who that was. Oh. But anyways, you need, it you sounds need to, like he was a rotten character at one point. You need to review some Mitch's Pidalik. He's He's been a joke villain at times, but he was a major nemesis for Superman, and he's actually appeared in a few different things. He was in Smallville, he was in Superboy TV series, and he's been in Supergirl. So, but anyway, he ended up coming up with these alternate realities, taking her back in time to see if she could change something where it wouldn't make that girl mad at her. And But each time, it just kind of ended up blowing up in her face, each scenario. So, but I thought the special effects was really cool in this one. It was, yeah, uh, and that's the thing. They, they moved, after the first season, which was on CBS, they moved the whole production from Los Angeles to Vancouver. And the look of the show stayed really very close to what it had been. I mean, you're not getting the palm trees anymore that you were getting in Los Angeles, but as far as the look of the show, the the office that she was working in, spot on. They recreated that office in Vancouver perfectly. And they moved from the cave to actually being in a, a building for the DEO when they moved to Vancouver. But the they moved them from, from Los Angeles to Vancouver to cut costs because it went from CBS to the CW. And I'm, I'm not positive, but I'm guessing the cost of the series is part of the reason why the sixth season is the final season. Because... Yeah. It, to me, it's one of the strongest shows they've got. The sixth season has been really good, what they've aired so far. And I've loved this show from the start. It's done a very good telling of Supergirl, which nothing against the original film because I loved it, but this is this show is so much better than that film was. And it's a bit more comics accurate than the film was. And... The only thing that I wasn't a huge fan of, and I understand the changing of it, was her costume. They went from the skirt, which I liked, to her in the pants outfit like Superman. So, that, and that, I'm not going to nitpick on that because it works within the confines of the show and they explain it when they change it over. But I just like the classic costume, and the skirt is the classic costume. And I also See, I thought she looked look better in the that, skirt. So. Yeah. Do I? I thought she looked better in the skirt than she does in the pants, too. But, but yeah, as, like I said, with, with this, it was an event inside the series, but outside of the series, you're not really going to know. So, for me, coming into the series, knowing what I know, the build-up of the characters, 
and each one, like Sam Witwer's Ben Lockwood, was a villain in the series, and you didn't get that part because you weren't there. So when he had Lena and was it Win, I believe, locked up, and she had to reveal her identity or they would be killed. Yeah. That you understood why he was like he was and Chad Lowe's character was a preacher who was the the teachings of Rao which is basically the god to Kryptonians and so you don't understand him better um, Robert Baker on this series played Otis Graves you'll know Otis was originally introduced in Superman the motion picture and Superman 2 as portrayed by Ned Beatty. So, they brought that character back in, and he was used with Lex in the series of Supergirl, because Lex was played by John Cryer, who did not appear in this episode. So that was like the one huge moment they could have had that did not come into the 100th episode, is John Cryer's Lex Luthor. But as far as a 100th episode that actually works within the confines of the show as an event inside the show. They definitely nailed it with this episode. It's a strong episode in the series, and I very much enjoyed it. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5 for the episode during the series, because like I said, I have the background knowing what it was all about. So what did you think? Well, I mean, I really can't give it a fair rating because this is you know i well just on what you saw of it you don't have to know the background just on what you saw of it what i saw of it i really okay i want to judge it on the special effects because like i said i don't know the backstory on all these people but i want to judge them on special effects and how i enjoyed it because i really liked the character of the little magical type being being able to whisker back and forth like that um, I really enjoyed that character even though I think he was probably evil at one point I guess anyway don't be mad at me I want to give it three and a half stars and see for somebody who doesn't have the background on it that kind of says that it was a really good episode I enjoyed it I actually enjoyed watching it I actually really enjoyed watching it and that'll bring us to our final pick that I chose this time. The Unusual Suspects episode of The X-Files. The 100th episode aired November 16th, 1997. So, here you had what was a was sweeps five. month. November 16th, 1997. Season 5, episode 3, The Unusual Suspects. But November is a sweeps month. And was definitely a sweeps month in 1997, so there was extra focus on this. The fifth season, they were definitely a much bigger show than they were the first season. So they needed to put something big out there for sweeps. The one thing, did you notice what was missing from this episode? Yeah. What was that? Golly. Yep. She does not appear outside of the opening credits in this episode. But, you get 
the origin of the Lone Gunman, and it was a phenomenal story to pull them together. And it had some actual educational moments in there with the original internet. Because what was it? Our cap or something like that? I can't remember exactly what it was called. So I didn't learn too well, but it actually did exist. And I believe when I, because I, I pulled it up as I was watching the episode, you know, I, I believe it was 1969. Yeah, I believe it was 1969 when it was launched by the military. So it was basically you get the original internet before the internet we know today mentioned in this. Archimat. Was it Archimat? That might be it. And it, one of the trivia things here on the IMDb is this episode, a lone gunman-centric one, came about because David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson were still involved with shooting the X-Files. And David Duchovny was pretty prominent in this episode to be written out for filming the film. It says this episode spawned a sequel in the show's sixth season, Three of a Kind was the episode title. It says, After the X-Files 3, the X-Files Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man, and the X-Files Zero Sum, this is the fourth episode in the series in which Gillian Anderson does not appear. It's Arpanet. Arpanet. Yeah. A-R-P-A-N-E-T. And it was funded by the Department of Defense. And, but in this one, you get exactly how uh, Langley, Froicky, and Byers came together as the lone gunman. You get how they meet. You get what actually gave them the name, the lone gunman. It's mentioned in there if you pay attention. You get a surprise appearance of Stephen Williams as Mr. X. You get Mulder stripping so down and yelling, they're here, they were at a they're here. Yeah, it, it basically starts out that they're all at a nerd convention. So, mm. and this woman comes in there needing assistance and getting something um, interpreted. And she ended up getting framed for you know, like supposedly blowing up these uh, other places where she had, you know, she was an ex-employee at. And there's a whole conspiracy against her because she knew too much and they were trying to hunt her down to silence her on what was really going on behind the scenes. Yeah. So. And some of what she said was true, some of it was fake, and you had to kind of put it all together as it went along, and you found out she was more of a sympathetic character than you might have thought. But just like I was talking earlier about it being an event episode and not being hard to get there, X-Files... Actually, the first season had 24, second season had 25, third season had 24, 
the fourth season had 24. The fifth season was reduced to 20 because they were doing the film. So it basically gave you what would a, a, a amount to 22 episodes in the fifth season. But because of the 24 and 25 episodes prior, this, the third episode of season five is where they got to 100 on X-Files. And like I said, this one... To have an episode where you write out the characters because you're filming the movie and need a reason to have something else. They did a phenomenal job and actually made an event series or event episode in the series. Yeah, but what gets me is here you on IMDb, you have to go down there and look at the cast. It says David Duchovny and Julian Anders. Julian Anders was someone that wasn't even in says, this episode. As Dana Scully, credit only. Well, I'm just saying here, just under cast. Well, it's because she's listed in the credits in the opening. So yeah. they they do mention that it's only on the credits. Okay. But the the pleasant surprise, because I'd, I'd forgotten that he was in it, but Richard Belzer makes an appearance in this series, in this episode as well. And... I don't know how familiar you are with Richard Bilzer, but he's, I'm looking. he's quite an accomplished actor. What was it? Homicide? Yeah, Homicide Life on the Streets that he was in. He was in Law and Order SVU as the same character that he played on the X-Files Unusual Suspects. And that show started in 1999. Unusual Suspects was 1997. So I don't, I'm looking through here. And it was also the same character in Homicide Life on the Street. So he took that character name from Homicide Life on the Street to the X-Files to Law and Order Special Victims Unit. He got some time out of that character. It says yeah. 326 episodes of SVU that he was in. Of course... The X-Files episode, he was in four episodes of Law and Order as that character, 122 episodes on Homicide Life on the Street, and the single episode of The X-Files. So, it looks like about 500 episodes that he played that character. 326 plus 122 would be 148, 149 with The X-Files. So, 100 or 200 or 453 episodes that he played John Munch in. That's got to be starting to rival Frasier, which, granted, Frasier is going to be a lot more episodes than John Munch was in, but yeah. that's some mileage out of that character. When he was, Definitely. It says he was uncredited as John Munch in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt episode, Kimmy Goes to the Doctor. Dirty Rock, he played Sergeant John, John Munch in an episode. He played John Munch on The Wire. So, Detective Munch on Exit Strategy episode of Arrested Development. John Munch on Trial by Jury Law and Order series. So, if you... The Beat, he played Detective John Munch in They Say It's Your Birthday episode. So, this character has really seen some time, which... That alone makes this more of an event episode. So, 
fantastic episode. Really nails it within the series as an event episode because the Lone Gunmen are such a huge part of the series and even got their own spin-off series, which, unfortunately, I only watched the first episode when it aired. Didn't continue watching it because I didn't like the tone of it. But then I bought the DVD set and went back and watched every episode. First episode eerily shadowed or foreshadowed the 9-11 attacks because they had a remote-controlled plane really? that was going to crash into a skyscraper. So that was one issue with that series. And it is included on the DVDs. They did not alter it in any way. But after that episode, it was less like the X-Files and more like the zaniness of the lone gunman. And they added the character Jimmy Bond, who was really stupid but fun. And the, the Lone Gunman, if I'd have stuck with it for one more episode, I probably would have watched every episode when it aired. As it was, I wasn't a real fan of the, the first episode because it wasn't what the show was going to be. So if you get the chance, definitely watch the series, Lone Gunman. If you like The X-Files, I think you'll like it, especially if you get past that first episode and see that the tone really changed in the dynamics of the series. But that's about all I've got on this one. Did you have anything more you wanted to say on it? No, but that makes me want to go back and watch, start watching all those episodes. Well, the Lone Gunman, I don't believe, is streaming anywhere. I think you can only get it on DVD. But X-Files, of course, is on Hulu, I believe, because Fox owns it. Or, or it's a Fox show, which is now owned by Disney, who has controlling interest on Hulu. So, and you know that just made me think there was the the Disney Plus star that they did overseas they haven't announced that in this country yet because that was supposed to be more adult oriented shows like Golden Girls and such so I guess we're not going to get that here which is kind of disappointing I didn't know about that yeah it was, we talked about it several months ago because they launched it in other countries but not here. And there yeah. was talk of it coming here, but here it is almost August and still don't have it. So, But anyways, I'm going to let you rank this one first because we pretty much know where I'm going to go with it. <laughs> we all know that you love the X-Files, Chris. Yep. So Second right favorite show of all time. Nothing. That's my second most favorite show of all time. What's your... Oh, the Wonder Woman yep. show is your very first. Um, I want to rank this a good, strong four. Because I know the whole series is awesome. And I just love... I just love... Uh, Mulder and Scully. Well, this one we... So, we didn't mention what the other guys rated. I'll say this one real quick. IMDb gave this episode with over 3,200 votes an 8.6 out of 10. And to me, that's kind of low for this episode. I'm going to say this episode nails it. Yeah, it's not Mulder and Scully. And I always say that you can't do the X-Files without Mulder and Scully. But this one was going back to 1989 instead of 
the current time. So Scully would not have been able to be in this because I don't even know if she was in Quantico yet. So Scully could not be in this episode and make it work. Therefore, what they did, said in 1989, you see the, the donning of the lone gunmen get their whole origin story, which is very important to the series. So that, that's why I keep saying this is an absolute event episode within the series, because the lone gunmen were so extremely important to the show. Like I said, they got their own spinoff series. So, huge deal with, this, with these three guys. They were fan favorites from the start because they brought the right level of zaniness to the show. They quibble with each other a lot throughout the series, and you get that in this from the start. But they also are dedicated to the pursuit of the truth, and this really pushes them in that direction. So for an episode of a show that I love that tells a story that is very important to the series and really gives fans service, I have to give this four and a half out of five. It is an excellent episode, very strong episode, very well acted, the script is great, and it's exactly what you want from an X-Files episode. I was thinking he was going to give it a five. Well, no, five would be perfect, and there's still flaws. But as far as what this show is, they nailed it. So, and that brings us to the end of our hundredth episode spectacular. Yay! I can't find a good one. We'll just go with this. Anyways, I've already picked what we're going to be watching for me next week. I'm sure Paul's going to be Johnny-come-lately as usual and decide at the last minute. But What are you doing? What are we doing next week? Tomorrow, Netflix is premiering Masters of the Universe Revelation, the first five episodes. It is the new animated series from Kevin Smith that is made to be a sequel to to the original series from the 80s. We are definitely reviewing that. Not a prequel, but a sequel. A sequel. Okay. So, go ahead and plan on that one. It's five episodes. We're going to do all five. Because they should be 30-minute episodes, so... That'd be like two and a half hours. It's an hour. I swear to God, I'll be cussing you. Two and a half hours, and that's it. That's about a movie time. And that's if they even hit 30 minutes. They may be like 22 minutes. You do realize I've worked all weekend this weekend. I do too. And I'm red dot on Saturday. Okay. Which means I may be working all night Saturday night. Okay. Alright. So, alright. They're... There are five episodes. You can hit one and then hit another one later and then hit another one later. You got time. That's Tuesday, though. Yeah, you got time. It's no different than if you'd have to watch a movie. Okay, whatever, Chris. No, whatever. Make me have to come through the screen and smack you again. 
So, okay. Well. That's what Paul will be doing when I come through the screen here in a minute. Okay. What time is it? It's one o'clock here. Yeah, I need to be getting to bed. Okay. So, until next week. Goodbye, everybody. Good night. Bye-bye.